0: I want to read today from 1 Kings chapter 8. I was told very early in my ministry to always have a good Bible reading uh, before your message. That way, if your message is no good, the people at least go away with something. And uh, I could add my lamentations to the lack of prayer meetings. And uh, I was lamenting very early in my ministry the lack of Bible reading, Uh, just the public reading of Scripture. Which is clearly put before us. Paul says, "Give attendance to reading," and um, so I want to take about a minute and a half of my ten uh, to read a little portion here in First Kings eight. So, First Kings chapter eight and verse one. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the King Solomon at the feast in the month Athanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. And we'll skip down to verse 10. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. This section of the Old Testament history, and particularly Solomon's prayer that follows immediately on from what we've read, has always been a favorite of mine in the Old Testament scriptures. And one of the reasons I will come to in a minute is the impact it has with regard to strangers, to Gentiles that would be attracted to Israel's God because of the testimony of this temple and of the worship of God in this place. But I want to look at it, and particularly with the focus of these prayer meetings over these many months, when we're asking God to move, to revive We're asking him to build up his kingdom, to build up his house, and Paul even speaks in Corinthians about us being God's husbandry and God's building. We're the work that that God is doing, and there are several things that I think from this passage at least that have impressed me over the years that are somewhat remarkable, and if you want to turn back a page to chapter 6, I want to read a verse there, chapter 6 verse 7. It says, and the house when it was in building was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. I remember being taken back. I mean, that's a pretty obscure verse. It's just a detail about how they built the temple. But I was impressed with it years ago with the thought the stones were cut somewhere else. They brought them already ready to put in place. My mother used to be a tour guide at Old Salem. Uh, In Winston-Salem, there's a small church town called Salem. It's the Salem part of Winston-Salem. It was a Moravian settlement. It was pre-revolutionary. And one of the, the main early buildings is called the Single Brothers House. And it was one of these with the timbers exposed in between the brick. And if you walk by and you look, each of those timbers had a Roman numeral etched in it because they'd already marked them and measured them and cut them before they brought them to to put them in place. And so very similar, these stones for Solomon's temple were cut in a different place. They were already ready when they were brought to the temple mount and, and placed there. And it just impressed me that oftentimes in the building up of the work of God, whether it's in a corporate sense, in the sense of revival for which we pray, or if it's in the life of an individual, very often there's a lot of unseen work that God is doing behind the scenes ahead of time before we see anything that takes place. I mean, you think about that in an encouraging way when you even look at it from the standpoint of personal evangelism. You don't know what work God has been doing in that person's life, what trial, what circumstances, what encouragements, what discouragements. You don't know what problems they may have been facing that God has used to prepare them for maybe the brief conversation or even the little word that you might share with them we may often be just the last link in a long chain of things God is doing in that life or in the corporate experience of God's people. And so even seasons where we don't see something happening, there may be a great deal happening. There may be a lot more going on than will happen at that one moment where God moves outwardly And we see a result. And so let us seek to be encouraged, even in lean times, that he that keeps Israel doesn't slumber or sleep. It doesn't mean he is not doing anything if we don't immediately see it. So often there's unseen work, unseen preparations for a sudden work of God. And then the portion that we read. This, to me, coupled with the same, very similar event in the erection of the tabernacle, where the cloud of glory descends. I mean, what do you say? Again, I lament this comment with regard to just the the loss of corporate prayer. I've been blessed and privileged to be among people that have emphasized prayer and was challenged in my early days of Student life really, of the need for prayer meetings to be more than a a midweek Bible study and two deacons pray at the end of the meeting, if that were still happening anymore, but real prayer. But times where the prayers would almost have to cease because the presence of God was known. And there was a work going on that was beyond words. I've often thought about the priests, uh, the preparations for that day, the plans, the expectations, all the things they had outlined that they would do. But there was a point during that day where they just had to step back out of the way and not do anything because God's presence was being manifested in that place. And what an experience! would that be? I don't put down prayers, seeking revival, meetings, sermons, evangelism, all of that labor that we put in. I'm not discouraging that at all. I'm just saying, what a day when the Lord would choose to intervene in such a way that those things would almost have to pause, that God would work and manifest himself without us doing anything real spiritual experience of the presence of God. So not only is there unseen preparation, but true spiritual inward renewal that we seek. And even in praying for revival, to pray for a genuine thing and to wait for a genuine thing, to not become discouraged and say, well, we'll invent a substitute so that we convince ourselves we were accomplishing something, but simply to wait for the real thing and God to come down. That's what we need to see. We have seen, particularly in American Christianity, enough counterfeit, enough substitutes that it's the genuine article we really need. But then a last text, if you'll flip a page later in chapter 8, down to verse 42. This is within the prayer that follows. Read from verse 41. As Solomon's praying, he says, moreover concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake. And then there's this parenthesis, for they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm. When he shall come and pray toward this house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for. I think that's a remarkable part of this blessing of God upon the house of God. The the spiritual reality that God's people would know in his presence descending in the house is something that Solomon recognized outsiders are going to see this outsiders are going to take note of a genuine work of god and one of the reasons this passage and prayer has been precious to me all along as i said is because of that presence of the gentiles even during the old testament era that god was working and saving among those people as well and so for us to consider the fact what we would ask for What we would seek God to do in our midst would be something of such a truly spiritual nature of a genuine Christian experience that the ungodly would see it, not in a mocking way, as they so often do religion, but they would see it. And as the New Testament says, they might be moved to ask a reason of the hope that lies within us. If we can walk with the presence of God in these uncertain days in such a way, that the hope that lies in us is seen by others. What a testimony. What an encouraging mark of God's hand upon his presence in our lives. So as we pray, and I know this is the burden of your prayer, that God would move in such a genuine way, others would take note others would be brought in, and we all might be more conformed to the image of our Savior.